0: Welcome to indo Battery, where we are sharing our endometriosis journey and learning along the way. This podcast is in no way meant to diagnose or give medical advice, but a place where you can gain knowledge and information that can help you to not feel alone as well as become your best advocate. We want to learn with you and support you wherever you are in your journey.
1: Thanks for joining us. I'm Shelby. And I'm Alana. And we're indo Battery, charging our life when endo drains us. Hey all, welcome to Endo Battery. I had the pleasure of sharing our last podcast of my kind of testimony and journey through um, endometriosis. And today we get to hear Alana. And this is so great. As we've talked in other podcasts, we spoke on endometriosis and adenomyosis. And um, unfortunately, she's dealt with both. Not lucky, but we are lucky to be here and have her kind of speak the truths and her journey of um, both of these. Yeah, and it's
0: been a journey. I'll start by saying I feel like I discredit myself often mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like I walked through years and years and years of pain like mm-hmm. some do. But I would say it wasn't years and years of pain in my a- adulthood the same. Mm-hmm. So mine actually started when I was really young. I ended up just having like a lot of girls have really painful periods. Mine kind of coincided as I got older in into high school with kidney pain and kidney stones. And mm-hmm. so I every time my period would start, I'd actually end up getting a kidney stone or what I felt like was a kidney stone and it could not have I mean honestly no one really knows because we didn't mm-hmm. do a whole lot. And my parents worked really hard, but we didn't always have the most to invest in stuff. And not that they wouldn't, they definitely would, but I would just ignore it a mm-hmm. lot. And so growing up, I just thought that that was normal. Honestly, I would have heating pads on my back. I'd lay down or miss a day of school or whatever the case may be. But I I always had those painful periods And looking back at it, I think, oh, I was dealing with this a lot longer. Hmm. I also had extreme fatigue. I remember growing up feeling extremely lazy And just, I felt like I could never get enough sleep. I would always be sleeping and I couldn't think clearly and I would struggle in school because I just couldn't focus. And Hmm. sometimes I was like, well, was that ADHD or was that? No, I honestly think it was just that cloud of just fatigue. And because that really didn't go away for until after my surgery. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, I had um, painful periods, got on birth control when I got married. I ended up having a miscarriage at, uh, early on in our marriage and I was on birth control. So it didn't really understand what was going on, mm-hmm. but I still wasn't regulated within my periods, even on birth control. And I wasn't planning obviously to get pregnant and didn't know I was pregnant. And that was terrifying to me to, and my husband was out of town at the time, wake up and feel this immense amount of pain. Hmm. And I know that looking back at that, that was a common occurrence with endometriosis. And so I I was walking through that and trying to, I honestly kept that very quiet and very secret. And a lot of people until probably the last couple of years didn't know that. And I didn't know why. I think I didn't talk about that. And now I wish I would have talked about it more.
1: Well, I think it's something in our society that doesn't get talked about because, mm-hmm. you know, what's wrong or why or just hush-hush or mm-hmm. it's a hard one to. And it's trauma. Right.
0: It's painful. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you just I had lost my brother when I was 10 and he was 15 from a seizure in his sleep. And I will tell you that losing a child out of womb or in womb are painful. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't matter at what stage you lose Mm -hmm. a child. Like even if you're expecting it, if you're not, it's still painful. So we walked through that. And then not long after that, I ended up having a kidney stone and this kidney stone was so big that I had to go into the ER for it. In the ER, they were like, okay, we're going to get an x-ray for this kidney stone mind you, my husband had traveled a lot in our first years of marriage, and so he wasn't actually in town. my my sister-in-law had to come and take me to the hospital. She had to carry me to the car Oops. I was throwing up everywhere. Like she was like, this was scary. It was a scary thing to see. And so my husband said he like got home the fastest that he's. <laughs> <laughs> <that are> driven, <laughs> you know, like my wife's in the ER, I've got to get home. The doctor in the ER was so much more concerned about flirting with the nurses than he was about my pain, about anything else. So he off the cuff said, Hey, we're going to get x-rays. So we go, we get x-rays. I had to fight to get pain medicine. And this is just a kidney stone, which they know is painful. Right. Right. So I go in and I had to fight to get the medicine. They're like, oh, we're just going to give you some inflammatory to see if it helps. No, this is, I'm in, I'm throwing up. What do I need to show that I'm in so much pain that I need help? So my sister-in-law marches in and she's like, so non-confrontational. She needs her pain medicine now. And they're like, oh, okay. You know? Yeah. And they had teaching students in doing like Mm -hmm. my IV and everything. And they missed veins. They Oof. And I'm a really hard IV person. So this doctor comes in. He's like, we're just going to need x-rays. I took the x-rays. I was in so much pain. I couldn't stand. And then he gets back and he goes, well, there's a mass on your ovaries. It could be cancer. It could be nothing. But we're going to do a vaginal ultrasound. Mind you, I have a 9-millimeter kidney stone stuck in my ureter. Yeah. I'm in so much pain right now. And then, t- and then he wants to do a freaking vaginal ultrasound. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like, you know, making inappropriate comments with the nurses. I'm not kidding you when I tell you That's that this terrible. was an awful experience. So the vaginal ultrasound tech... Ugh. God bless her was amazing thankfully but we get back into the ER and he goes, "Well, I don't think it's cancer. You're going to have to see an OB, but um go home and try to pass this kidney stone." So then I go home, I can't pass it. I'm in, yeah. in like I've never seen my husband so more like so much more tormented mm-hmm. in that moment than seeing me trying to deal with this. And I go back to the ER the next day and the doctor then who was fantastic says, why would he even have you do a va- vaginal ultrasound? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. He goes, you're not passing this stone. No. And I had surgery that day oh. with a urologist, but I still had to address this mass on my
1: ovary. Mm-hmm. So my- Question really quick. With yeah. your kidney issues, did mm-hmm. you also, did it translate to bladder issues? Did you have a lot of UTIs? Or I did. Different things, mm-hmm. just wondering. Yeah, I actually, and I didn't associate that
0: until honestly, really recently, the more research I've done, the more yeah. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. And um, yeah, I did growing <laughs> up. I did, yeah, for sure. And I and it was so painful all the time, but it was my normal. I didn't really know anything right. else, so yeah. if of you have course, nothing to compare. I don't it have to. anything to compare it to, right? No, it all just started, and I was always in pain, right? And so I should actually back up a hot second because when I was a senior in high school, I was in so much pain. And I remember seeing this doctor multiple times. They took so many urinalysis on me because I was in extreme amount of pain, like Mm. to the point where I couldn't sit up, I couldn't do anything. I finally had seen a nephrologist. I had passed a kidney stone in high school, Mm -hmm. but they didn't catch the kidney stone in the hospital oh yeah they i was like i have to go to the bathroom and they're like okay and they didn't put a catch pan in there yeah just and i was like i passed a stone i even had my mom go look at it yeah because i was like there's a stone in the in the toilet right yeah and she was like why did they not and the the nephrologist at the time that i had seen was he was so furious and he was like why didn't they catch this that's frustrating And so, but this other doctor kept telling me you could have ovarian cancer because my grandmother did pass away from ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They did all these tests. I went through severe depression within that time frame. So I, I, that's a big part of my story. Yeah. And I, a weird thing is that in that pain, I forget about it. Like Mm -hmm. I have masked that portion of my life, but it was very traumatizing for my entire family. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there crying, feeling hopeless Fast forward, I have the kidney stone, I go see an OBGYN, an actual OBGYN, not like a family doctor, Mm -hmm. which is what I had seen before for um, birth control and other things. And I had seen this OBGYN and she was like, you have, you, she goes, I can't be 100% sure until I get in there, but I'm pretty sure you have endometriosis. Mm. And then this is where I say that I feel like my story isn't like as, hard as others because I had a diagnosis Mm -hmm. fairly early on in this journey of like figuring out something was wrong, but yet not because I'd been dealing with all the symptoms. Right. Right. So she goes, I'm fairly certain you have it. She goes, we won't know until we get in there. Mm -hmm. So we did a laparoscopic ablation surgery and she found it was the size It was like a slightly bigger like a extra large egg size think she's like it's like a it's like a good sized you know orange and i was like oh that's nice yeah and she goes I not had very a di- big not very big yeah she goes and actually she said it was huge she had to dissect it several times oh. to get it out i was like oh okay of an actual endometrioma mm-hmm. and at that time i don't she's like i kind of looked around didn't look like there was anything else and so she kind of didn't do anything else but do the ablation on that which in hindsight again I'm also glad she didn't go digging yes I feel very 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 fortunate in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. that I didn't have to go through years of trying to figure out what's going on and the trauma of that because I had a doctor who had endometriosis Mm -hmm. help me Mm -hmm. figure that out However, because of her lack of knowledge, and to be fair, I don't know how much was out there on excision surgery at this time. I'm sure not this very was much. this was 2010. Mm. I mean, I remember when she diagnosed me going online and trying to find anything and everything I could. I think there were some suppression mm-hmm. things that you could do. And then she ended up putting me on Depo-Lupron. This was $1,000 each month to do the shot. And insurance didn't always cover it. And we didn't have the money to spend $1,000 a month on a shot that could potentially not work. And she was saying, this is just to maybe get rid of the endometriosis or, you know, and, or to preserve your fertility. And I, at that point, I didn't know anything. And there wasn't a lot out there for me to research and be like, this isn't a great drug for me, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, you know, every doctor is going to be different. I'm not a believer in the Depo-Lupron. I don't think that there's a huge place for it. I, I don't, I guess I should say this. For me, there was, it. the benefits didn't outweigh the cost. Or of, the side effects. Or the side effects. Yeah. And I'm not saying just cost, monetary cost. Mm, I'm yes. saying the whole kit and caboodle, like the whole, the cost it took on my body, mm-hmm. everything else. I took that only for three months this time. Only three months. I say that. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. And we still don't really want to get pregnant at this point, but I had decided, um, you know what? I can't, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so I was on birth control again, uh, because this was another method to kind of suppress that. Also, I didn't want to get pregnant yet. I had planned to go to Italy first. Like yeah. <laughs> I, wanted the- I wanted to get traveling out of the way. I wanted to do all these things and, in- and enjoy just being married. Mm-hmm. And so then, um, I, one night I rolled over in bed and I thought I was dying. Ooh. Quite literally thought I was like, couldn't breathe. I felt like I was dying. I didn't wake my husband up cause I didn't want to worry him because that's just in my nature to be like, we'll just wait. Oh, this, yeah. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Meanwhile, I'm over hovering over the to- toilet, trying not to throw up from pain and like was throwing up from pain. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't function. Next morning, he, he was so mad at me that morning. He's like, why didn't you wake me up? And I was I'm like, sure. because I don't know, because I don't have a brain cell to right. function right now. And so we went to the ER and they did another x-ray, found another cyst on my left ovary. So the first one was my right ovary. Second one was my leftover, or it could have been turned around. It's real foggy at this point.
2: <laughs> regardless,
0: <laughs> regardless, both are both both had some issues. Yes, and so um, my doctor said, "Hey, just I." So they sent it to my doctor, knowing mm-hmm. that that's she had called for. It. Actually, I don't think I went to the ER that time. I called my doctor, and she said, "Okay, go to imaging, and I want to get an ultrasound and an X ray." So that's what we did. Much better than Much the ER. Better experience. than the ER experience because she knew the trauma of the ER for me was real. So she was like, there's another endometrioma is is what I believe it to be because it's very classic, like could just be a cyst, but I'm fairly certain that it's an endometrioma. Mind you, I was in so much pain. I was in such extreme pain. I could not function. Mind you, I was also working at a hair salon at this point managing it at the front end on my feet all day. Mm -hmm. And I was doing the best I possibly could at that point to just... Fake it
1: till you make it. Yeah. That's what
0: we get good at. Yeah, absolutely. And, And I feel like the disease, no one knew anything about it really. And so, I mean, we knew I had it. I knew what my doctor had told me. But how do you translate that into speaking to... Your coworkers, your peers, your bosses.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is why a lot of women end up losing jobs or right. quitting because it's or so getting painful. fired or getting fired. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to fake it. So I make it. And then a week later was when my next surgery, she's like, we're going to have to go back in and do a laparoscopic and see what's and probably do some ablation. At this point, I knew nothing of excision, had no idea, and went back in and she, got in there and realized it was all over my bells. It was all over Mm. everything. And she's like, it was a really bad case. And I was like, okay. She ended up not doing it laparoscopic because it was on my bells. She cut me open, like C-section cut open, but I actually think it was bigger. Mm. And that surgery was so painful. I couldn't lay down. And I went back to work way too soon. I didn't give myself the space to heal. Mm. And I had this massive surgery where she cut on everything and, and and did ablation on everything. And I went back to work really soon after. I couldn't lay flat for two and a
1: half months. Did you know going in that you were having the hip-to-hip or did you nope. go in thinking you were having laparoscopic, laparoscopic. again? Laparoscopic.
0: She did tell us. I. I mean, she did say like, There's a possibility if I get in there that I'm going to have to open up. There's always that possibility. If I don't feel like it's safe to Mm -hmm. do it laparoscopically, I will go in and and cut. And I was like, okay, but I didn't know any different. Right. I mean, I quite literally, I was so tired and fatigued Mm -hmm. and trying to just function in life Mm -hmm. and the pain on top of that. And then having her go in and I didn't do the research. Yeah. I didn't because I was tired yeah. and I was in pain and I didn't advocate for myself the best I could have. But at the time, I actually do, and I say this because I think it was the best case scenario for me at the time. Yeah. Because I had a doctor who didn't gaslight me. Right. She acknowledged he, it. She acknowledged it. hmm And she did her absolute best with what she was given yep. to serve me the best she could. Mm-hmm. Was there trauma to my body? Yes. Was there misinformation? Yes. But ultimately, I I felt like she served me the best that she could Mm -hmm. from that perspective. That's why I say I really feel like I got the best of what I could have right at the time. Mm -hmm. Then I went on Depo-Lupron again because this is this is what they teach in medical school. Depo-Lupron's gonna take it away Mm -hmm. if you can't have your cycle, if you can't have your period then you can't grow endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And then I also then went on um, the marina, or actually I, sh- I went on the marina. I'm sorry. I went on the marina. That was the birth control. Mm-hmm. And then she said, well, the, that, IUD, yep. the IUD. Yep. And she goes, that sometimes really helps women suppress. I will tell you that was hell for me.
1: It was, I've heard nothing awful good for, for me. It was so women.
0: uncomfortable and it was awful mm. feeling. My acne, I had horrible acne. I gained so much weight. I felt even worse. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I was doing the best I could with what I had. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, double loop run, nine months. Got off of it. I was like, we're going to Italy. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. I got back wasn't pregnant and I was really, it was like devastating for me. I don't know why I thought instantly because the communication behind it was you get off of Depo-Lupron, you get pregnant right away. Mm-hmm. Your, the, your chances of being pregnant right away are, are much higher. Mm-hmm. And that's when I went to the acupuncturist. I went to Rachel that you had referred to me or that you had seen. Yeah. I feel like, Rachel I don't Bluff. know. If, yeah. I don't, I feel like I, you were the one that
1: I saw her before imaging.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. phenomenal. She's phenomenal, and so I went to her to help with that. And she, I, she did two sessions on me, and I was pregnant.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was like, okay, all right. She did through twelve weeks. I was, I should say this. I was terrified of another miscarriage. Mm. Yeah, the fear so. consumed me, and I will also say that prior to being pregnant, we were coming up with different plans. To have kids, Mm. knowing that that was a possibility that we couldn't have kids. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I wanted to be a mom more than I wanted to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so I started talking to adoption agencies and Mm -hmm. I started kind of grieving that process before it was there, Mm -hmm. but I felt like I was trying to do some self-preservation. Yeah. Honestly.
1: Right. I mean... But I I think fertility is the one space, you know, with endometriosis that, you know, so many women either get it taken away because, you know, there are doctors that will just be like, oh, well, the only way to get rid of it, your endometriosis is a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I've heard of stories of, you know, doctors taking hysterectomies, you know, in early 20s just to... Cure this endometriosis. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, fertility is the one thing that is such a fine line and preservation. And it's such a hard thing to walk through Mm -hmm. if you are wanting kids. Yeah. And it's different for everyone. Right. And everyone's
0: story and everyone's desire is very different. I Mm -hmm. knew I didn't want to do IVF. Yeah. For a lot of reasons, but just the hormonal mm-hmm. aspect of it alone for me, I just knew I couldn't, Yeah, I couldn't do it. And so. I felt the same way. Mm-hmm. And so I um got pregnant. I had awful morning sickness. Awful. I mean, it wasn't morning sickness. It was all day, every single day for nine months sickness. Ugh. I could not stand the smell of toast. I couldn't stand the smell of cooking meat. I couldn't do it at all, but you know what that did for me is reassure me that there was a child inside of me. So the, from that perspective, I was good. But I was I I wouldn't say that I loved pregnancy. Yeah. Um, it was really hard for me on my body after I had my daughter. Ten weeks postpartum, my period came back full fledged.
1: Damn periods. I know <laughs> why. Why?
0: And and I was not exclusively breastfeeding because I had a C section, and then the lactation nurse came in and she was like, well, you've got a supplement and you, and Uh my milk had just not come in and I didn't know any different. Right. And so we supplemented and then I ended up, she only nursed until like six months and I couldn't do any more. And given what I know now about breastfeeding and endometriosis and your periods, it's that the way that it was described to me was every month that you have your period postpartum, the likelihood of you will have of losing an ounce of milk mm-hmm. after. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that explains a little bit more. Not always. It's always right. different for everyone. Right. Then I dealt with extreme pain after her, uh, did not go back on birth control. And pain as in. Kidney pain um, or kidney pain, where was that? Pain? I had kidney stones still, but my pain honestly was in my ovaries still. Mm. And it was in my, I struggled walking without pain. The fatigue was out of this world. Like I remember driving with my new, like toddler, honestly, any stage. I would drive and I didn't know how I got from one place to the next because I was so fatigued. And that's scary. Mm-hmm. because it doesn't, it's not like that is your overall goal is to be like, well, I want to get there just right. to get there. If I had known that I couldn't drive without feeling, feeling that fatigued in certain times, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have driven. Right. And there were times I didn't. Yeah. And I remember thinking as a new mom, I'm failing my child. Yeah. Because I was so tired mm-hmm. all the time. It's so tough. The fatigue for me on top of the pain, the fatigue was, such a life suck to me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think. Yeah. I couldn't do anything. And then the pain would come. And I remember being curled over on the couch so many times. And Elliot's like, are you okay? I'm like, it's just my period. Mm-hmm. It's just the endometriosis. And I was, I was okay with it. That mm-hmm. was the weirdest thing. And I think what we've been conditioned to, to be is okay with the pain. Right.
1: It's we've normal. been taught like, every month you're going to have your period. It's going to be painful. It's going to suck. You're going to bleed a ton. Mm -hmm. And folks, that's not normal. It's not normal.
0: (laughs) And I remember saying to my doctor after this, I said, I'm so tired all the time and I'm in so much pain. She goes, that's the endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And she said, we can go back in if you want and do another ablation. And I felt so defeated. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets really hard, Mm -hmm. is that I had come to terms with the fact that I would potentially never have another child. And like I said, in Shelby's episode, I was okay. I felt extremely blessed to have the one I had. Mm -hmm. But the desire for a second child wasn't any less, and it wasn't any less painful. Right. But I had come to terms with the fact that I may not have another one, and I was okay with that Mm -hmm. at that point. Like I was like, you know what? The daughter we have is perfect i'm so thankful i have what i have fast forward to three year two and a half years later found out um we hadn't been trying but we had not been trying to have Mm -hmm. kids i was just kind of like if it happens it happens at this point we're fine with whatever Mm -hmm. it took us a little over six months to try or to get pregnant we had our second and that pregnancy was tough I had a lot of ligament pain, round ligament pain. I had a lot of, I had a lot of spotting through that pregnancy. Now I'm wondering, and I don't, and this is completely speculative. speculative is that I'm wondering if a lot of that is in the vaginal cuff, which is where they find a lot of endometriosis. That mm-hmm. tends to be a big spot for it. Right. It's just a lot of bleeding from that. Mm-hmm. Again, had another C-section, and with her that that pregnancy was really hard and I after that pregnancy postpartum my period came back eight weeks and I was exclusively breastfeeding I should say (laughs) for 11 months yeah it was a lot of work yeah but I was in so much pain Mm -hmm. and um so about a year after my daughter was born I went back to the doctor and she said well you have adenomyosis and I was like okay, what does that mean? She goes, well, it's essentially endometriosis in the lining or in the wall of your uterus. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? (laughs) And she goes, you're like, cool, something else to add to my plate. And I was already an emotional mess. Like, right, let's add to it. Mm -hmm. And I also want to preface this by saying that when I in that year after having my daughter, my feet, this is what was weird is my feet. If I put my feet up at all, and I went, to stand up, it was pins and needles hmm. through my feet. Like I could barely walk, pins and needles, like falling to the ground, no strength. Went to the orthopedic doctor. He's like, Well, you know, it could regulate. My wife mm. couldn't eat this and that. And then it, not a whole lot of help. And they took x-rays and x-rays and everything. Everything looked normal. Mm-hmm. But I'm why am I getting the, the sensation of like I can't walk? pins and needles, could not walk. If I put my feet up for even three or four minutes, putting them down my my legs and my ankles would swell so bad. Hmm. I had really bad edema from mm-hmm. it. Could never figure it out. And he's like, well, it could just be breastfeeding. It could be this. That's not normal. No. That's not normal. It's not a
1: byproduct. That's not a
0: byproduct of that. Breastfeeding. Finally went back. She's like, well, we could do, I forget the name of it. It's this procedure where they laser the lining of your uterus as a form of birth control. She's like, mm-hmm. we could try that. But honestly, like you could bleed even more. Yeah. Or you can do a hysterectomy. And I wasn't ready for a hysterectomy because my daughter was a year and a half and I had heard they were terrible and they were really hard to recover from. And I just didn't feel like being out of my daughter's path of momhood for two months. Right. I just, I didn't feel like I could do it. And so we waited, we waited, we waited. Blessing in disguise was, is that meanwhile, I had met with Shelby because she had posted on her Instagram account about potentially having endometriosis, what that meant. So we met for coffee and that's where Shelby was like, Alana, you need to check out Nancy's Nook. And I had been on, she had also put me on Oralisa at this point, which is the pill form. Of mm-hmm. And I started getting lumps in my breasts because I was seriously having, I'd start my period, I'd ovulate, I'd start my period. I'd like have, <laughs> it was, I was bleeding twice a month Ugh. for multiple days. So it was like more than half the month. You were bleeding. I was bleeding. Ugh. I was constantly in my cycle. And that's another thing. And she was like, well, that's from the adenomyosis. Mm-hmm. And I was having, I had lumps and, and breast soreness and I was freaked out mm-hmm. because I was like, do I have breast cancer? Do I? And it was just, she's like, nope, it's just an excess of hormones. Yeah, Awesome. So I went on oralista and it started getting to a point where it was so bad. Sex was painful. I couldn't walk. I couldn't again, think clearly my fatigue was through the roof I was cranky with my kids because I was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. I was throwing up a lot. I was, I mean, it was just like all these things that were coinciding. And um, I met with you and you're like, no, you need to go. To Nancy's nock nose, and this is where I was like, "But I gave you all the wisdom, Shelby. Don't you know that I gave you everything I have because I've been through it all?" Oh wait, I'm still going through it, and I think I even remember you. It was so funny. I remember sitting in the coffee shop, and you're like, "Oh," and when I told you I was on oralis, and you're like, "Oh, okay. Well, have you read about that?" Yeah, it's <laughs> like, well, the doctor gave me a pamphlet, and this is what the doctor said, and she's like, "Oh, okay." Um, you were trying to be so nice about it and not be like, oh, come on now. (laughs) Like,
1: I remember this.
0: (laughs) How I remember this, I don't know, but I remember
1: this. (laughs) That's too funny. But yeah, like with Nancy's Nook, like I just went into, there's different modulars to go into and, you know, really read about all the treatments, options that are out there and the pros and cons about both treatments. Or all the treatment options, which, you know, I feel like a lot of medical providers, some will give, you know, Oralisa or Lupron mm-hmm. out and not tell you the side effects yep. and not tell you what it could potentially do. And, you know, again, it becomes that carrot as a bait, like, oh, you're telling me this could maybe cure my endometriosis or you know yep. get me out of pain for 6 to 9 to 12 months but then yep. past that what right cuz you can't be on either of those no long term those no. are short term one time only should be type medications that you that all. can't sustain in life no and so that's where i think a lot of disservice comes in as well is that you know um some of these things are being pushed without the knowledge behind right? what could or couldn't happen.
0: Well, and I think too, the doctors aren't given the best knowledge on it. Right. Like it's not communicated clearly. Mm-mm. That's why I felt like I was doing the work. But I remember when we met, I felt completely hopeless. And mm-hmm. I remember not long after that, you finally, you were like, Alana, you text me and I was so thankful that you followed up with me mm-hmm. because You said, I I remember, I just remember this conversation because I had it with Elliot after. You were like, Alana, get on Nancy's Nook. I don't see that you're doing anything. You need to get on Nancy's Nook. And I was like, okay, fine. So I did. And I had gotten so bad at that point that I really started digging in and digging in deep. And then I scheduled, I got to a point where the Oralissa was running out. I wasn't doing anything. It was making it worse. The hot flashes were making me insane um, because it was literally every five minutes mm. of feeling like I was sweating out of my clothes from the side effects of this. And yeah. so I was like, I just felt, and I'm trying to raise two kids. Right. I can't, I mean I was just And be a wife and be a and wife a friend and all the things. Household Everything. manager mm-hmm. and I remember having to take naps. Yeah. And being like, Why am I taking naps all the time? I'm mm-hmm. so tired. I can't do this and I'm in pain. And I was I had a lot of meltdowns. Breakdowns. I don't think they were meltdowns. They were breakdowns from just mental fatigue and mo and emotional fatigue yeah. and pain fatigue. It's all but all real. legitimate too. All legitimate. Like,
1: Endometriosis and adenomyosis is hard. Yeah. Because of all the things you go through, whether you've been gaslit, whether you've been helped like Alana, Mm -hmm. but still are dealing with issues after what you thought of all these treatments. Each treatment was supposed to be the treatment to help. Right. You know, just holding on to the next one is is this going to help this time mm-hmm. or not right and that's
0: what I felt like I just felt like we had extinguished all the real options for me mm-hmm. at that point and I loved my doctor she was there with me she did all my c sections and we'll talk about you know doctors that do both you know these surgeries and deliver babies when they're splitting their time so much but I was thankful in a lot of ways mm-hmm and she was a great support and we gained a real personal rapport. Yeah. And when I went back and she still had paper charts at this point because she was like pretty old school. Mm-hmm. The chart was like four inches <laughs> thick of all my stuff. And I was like, is that my file? She goes, yeah, this is your second one. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So I ended up scheduling with Dr. Nelson. It was six plus months out Mm -hmm. so that it was roughly about the same time that you you had your scheduled I ended up scheduling mine um probably two or three weeks after Mm -hmm. we had talked I'd I'd had enough I couldn't do it anymore and then COVID hit Mm -hmm. and everything was delayed so I had my surgery June of 2020 my husband could not come in with me he couldn't he could drop me off the door. I had to walk in, be temperature checked, and then do the surgery and everything. I had mine at Boulder Community as well. And they were fantastic. Yeah. Such an amazing. Fantastic. Hospital and staff there. And I had been at other previous hospitals and not had that experience. So I can tell you, if you're in this area, Boulder Community was fantastic. Yeah. And the nurses and everyone. And mm-hmm. then Dr. Nelson was, um, th- I mean, he's amazing he's really such a life giver and yeah. so um i had that and then it took me a good 2 or 3 months to feel fully kind of healed um it just takes a long time mm-hmm. you have to give your your body grace because it went through such a huge thing and i had a full hysterectomy so i had everything taken out and i had excision and it he his words to me were my joy i was still probably a little loopy when <laughs> he told me this. <laughs> and my husband wasn't allowed in. It was, it was weird, like, because it was COVID, the hospital policy was he could spend two hours in there with me. I was like, what is this, a conjugal visit? Right. <laughs> this <laughs> is so weird. Okay? have not, right. you know, no. not at all. Visiting hours are two hours. And um, then he couldn't stay in there. It was weird. Anyway, Dr. Nelson said, it's not the absolute worst I've ever seen, but it was a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, does, and everything made sense after that point when he showed me the pictures Mm -hmm. and when we talked about it, he's like, it was pretty much everywhere. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that makes so much more sense. Like, Mm -hmm. thank you for giving me the validation that I needed as an endo patient. I remember walking into surgery feeling terrified Mm -hmm. that he wasn't going to find anything,
1: even though I knew he would. Right. Which I think is every endo Patience, fear. Absolutely. Of going it was mine. Yeah. That you would wake up and be like, my first question to my recovery nurse was, did they find endo? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and she said yes. And that was so validating because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like an ACL tear
2: no. of
1: your knee that you can go get imaging done mm-hmm. and 100% see the ligament tear. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that orthopedic doctor goes in, fixes the ACL, you have PT, mm-hmm. and you know what's coming, mm-hmm. you know, yep. with endometriosis surgery, whether in Alana's case, ablation or excision, mm-hmm. you could either go in thinking it's going to be laparoscopic to hip to hip and a hysterectomy to a full hysterectomy, mm-hmm. you know, some women have to get their colon resection, bladder, all the things. So it's literally like opening Pandora's box of you have zero idea of how you will come out or what they'll find.
0: And I had given him permission to take everything at this point. And he was very clear to me in pre-op that the likelihood of me having to take both kid or ovaries out was very high given the fact that I had already had mm-hmm. endometriomas on them. Right. He and he went in, he's like, I don't know how you had
1: kids. Like he was very honest with yeah. me. He goes, Your ovaries mm-hmm. were a mess. Yeah. And he that's one thing I do love about him is he's not he takes into consideration, I don't know how many times he asked me my age, um, mm-hmm. based on my hysterectomy. You know, I was I was intending to go in to at least have my uterus removed. But if he found that he needed to also remove an ovary or both, I was also okay with that. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, he would always say, you know, you're 35, you know, we don't want to put you into medical menopause if we don't have to, Right. like he's not surgery hungry, if you will, Mm -hmm. to quickly just go in and take it all in hopes because he knows that just because you take it all doesn't mean you've c- cured endometriosis. Yep. Well,
0: and I think that you will always have the best results with doctors who advocate with you. Yeah. And for you. Mm-hmm. I had that in both cases. It was just, and I do believe it was the best result given the time and situation. Yeah. For me, mm-hmm. that both of them. Advocated the best for me because they genuinely cared, and that's what made the difference for me. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't have as much trauma as I could have had, right. The disease itself is trauma
2: mm-hmm.
0: what it does to you the the ways it plays in your mind mm-hmm. everything the you grieve the loss of a season because you're in so much pain or what could have been a season mm-hmm. or seasons or seasons
1: or years
0: or years, yeah. And I did grieve that a lot. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in this place of like recovery. I can move and it's not painful. I can work out. I remember before my surgery, I would work out Mm -hmm. and I would have so much inflammation. I couldn't move Mm -hmm. and not from like a good sore type of movement, but more from the inflammation is so bad that I cannot function. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I used to have to rest Extra from workouts Mm -hmm. because it was more detrimental when I would do like super hard workouts. That's why I really had to find movement that met my body where it was at and listen to my body to meet it where it was at. Well, you were also more motivated to work out. Like you actually enjoyed things like that and
0: I didn't. So I just stopped working out (laughs) because I was like, I got to a point in life
1: (laughs) as well where I stopped working out because it was so painful.
0: And I just, I was, I kind of gave up and let was like, this is my lot in life. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't. And I want that to be a point of hope Mm -hmm. is that it doesn't have to be your lot in life, that there are ways and people surrounding you that can help you with this because I'm still in the, in the healing phase Mm -hmm. and it's different, different than it was. Like I'm still healing from my body compensating for so long. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's very important to find some, a trainer or someone that understands rehabilitation Mm -hmm. movement, because that's been key for me. And I know that you and I have talked about that, but like, and Shelby's really good at this too, but just being rehabilitated Mm -hmm. and having someone from the outside looking in saying, this is what's weak. This is what's not. This Mm -hmm. is what we're going to work on and really good ways of helping you achieve a more full life and movement. Mm -hmm. And then I do PT, both pelvic floor and otherwise, you know, and Mm -hmm. and we've talked about other things. So this has been ongoing for me. I mean, I don't think that it'll ever stop. I think, and that's true with anyone. I think our bodies are always changing and progressing. It's just a little bit different when you have a chronic pain Mm -hmm. that you've been living with.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, our goal with this podcast is to, you know, share both of our stories. And thank you, Alana, so much for sharing yours Mm -hmm. and speaking into both situations of, you know, doing the best that you can in those moments. But then also realizing that there's other things out there Mm -hmm. that you could maybe get a second opinion for, because I feel, and we'll speak on to this later that, you know, sometimes I feel like we feel an obligation to get stuck to certain healthcare professionals mm-hmm. and that we may believe that they may know it all and feel like we'd betray them by getting a second or third or 10th opinion, right. but in actually we're doing it a disservice for us. So, you know, by us sharing these different tools, you know, and bringing on different people, you know, we really hope to give more tools so that you can better self-advocate, learn more with these tools and other tools that are out there.
0: Yeah. Thanks for taking the time and listening to my story. I hope
1: that it helped in some way or another. So thank you so much for listening today. If you want to, please leave us any questions or comments that you may have for Alana or myself or both of us. Um, We're on Instagram as well as our email. So, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you all so much for listening.